Welcome to the third ever episode of The Figure Podcast. Each week, we figure out people, numbers, and images of the past, present, and future, hosted by George Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. And we begin every week <laughs> with, what has this week meant to you? So, Char, what has this week meant to you? This week has been a very busy one, but I have had lots of time to listen to podcasts when I've been walking somewhere or on the train and trying to hear over the rattling noise. I quite often have to uh, pause. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I do that. <laughs> pause when you're going through the really fast bit and then as you get into a station, you can play. play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you get that too. Okay. Awesome. Um, and Julie Andrews has been a theme of the podcast that I've listened to. She is amazing and I love, love her voice yeah. so, so, so much. So I listened to Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, which is a lovely long interview, and she goes into all of the ins and outs of Mary Poppins and Sound of Music and her first marriage and her second marriage. Desert and Island. the rest of her career, because you yes. think of Julie Andrews, you're like, Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, and then speed forward 30 years, then Princess Diaries. Yes, and you exactly. forget, like, you forget <laughs> that she's actually had a yes. whole career. And actually, Audrey Hepburn played My um, Fair Lady. My Fair Lady first. No. Oh, no, sorry. Second. Julie Andrews played it first on stage and then Audrey Hepburn got the role. For in, three years. In the film, I know. And there was a controversy about that. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, and her Desert Island disc is also fantastic. Mm. Um, other than that, I have been looking into Northern Ireland now that the Republic of Ireland have had their referendum, which has implications for abortion, which is what we talked about in last week's episode. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. But um, there's a great episode of Women's Hour where they talk about the 1861 Act, which mm -hmm. basically puts abortion into a criminal offence, yeah. along with murder and other criminal offences, yeah. rather than a medical one. Charlotte and I live in Great Britain, so that's England, Scotland, Wales. And the law here is different to Northern Ireland. I think Which is the UK. Been, yeah, that's been forgotten. It's Northern Ireland is not the same as Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And this referendum happened in Republic of Ireland. And I was, my attention was drawn to that by a great episode <coughs> of the Hilo following on from their discussion of the referendum, mm -hmm. which was brilliant. An amazing uh, podcast, by the way. Yeah. Um, One of our favourites. Who are so good at listening to their listeners mm. and responding to their responses. Yeah. And they corrected themselves. They were referring to the UK when they were talking about abortion rights, but really it's Great Britain because Northern Ireland has separate and mm. different laws. What has this week meant to you? So this week um, has... Me okay, so uh, been busy. Um, one thing that I found really upsetting this week was actually hearing about the death of Kate Spade, who took her own life yesterday um, and her body was found by a housekeeper, I think, in her apartment. And it hit really close to home. Um, I think it really emphasises that we really don't know people's burdens, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter who they are. She, you know, I love Kate Spade, but I don't didn't think for a second about the woman behind the brand. I just liked yeah. the products. And I think there are so many examples which are similar to that mm -hmm. and actually listening to podcasts robin williams alexander mcqueen i mean all yeah. of these people you just think oh they haven't made you know they're famous they have so much but money with the woman behind the brand thing i think it's mm. really oh, interesting yes. so yeah. for example joe malone you might not think about what is she going through you just think oh 
lovely perfume yeah but if you listen to podcasts with her you hear all about her struggles with breast cancer Mm. and um her relationship with her son there's a really great episode of happy mum happy baby which is one of our favorite podcasts that we don't admit to people we know (laughs) so now you know don't tell anyone (laughs) it's really good um yes anyway we could go on and on and on about podcast recommendations but i think you had a few to share yes so i'm gonna do this very succinctly hopefully um i want to really really emphasize how much i love this podcast and it's the daily it's by the new york times it's an amazing podcast so well produced the team behind it are incredible incredible journalists they take you through all sorts of different things i mean they'll just look at a topic they'll hone in on a specific situation whether that can be anything from anywhere in the world and they'll be able to call in eyewitnesses they'll be talking about the evidence they'll talk about fam- bringing family members they'll give you all of the facts it's 22 minutes they do that very well <laughs> we yeah. sometimes struggle on that <laughs> um this week for example they're doing a five-day special on freddie gray who was the uh black teenager who was shot in baltimore that really highlighted the police brutality and the racist um kind of police department in baltimore and maryland um and kind of crime just there generally you t- you listen to his grandmother his mother it's just an amazing podcast they're fantastic researchers from, um, from the amazing. yeah amazing and they also have <laughs> caliphate which is this other series about um a canadian man who basically um joins isis his whole journey through uh joining isis all the things that he's forced to do what he sees it's so interesting i have a morbid fascination with things like that um and then he obviously escapes how he escapes and then not to give any spoilers but i'm now at a point where there's a whole other plot twist and it's just insane and i can't believe it's real and these journalists are amazing and you really understand wow i mean these people put their lives on the line in order for us to get the news and And to to hear the story yeah it's Mm. so good so yes the daily is amazing and also i've been really enjoying a podcast called couples therapy which (laughs) is um a really funny podcast uh by casey neistat and his wife candace neistat casey neistat is a really 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 famous youtuber who kind of got really popular really quickly i think it was a space of about a year but i think their whole life circumstances changed so radically and it's just about and that impacted on their relationship, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, mass- massively. Mm. Which is interesting, and it's also just, you know, if you're interested in that kind of thing and the dynamics between men yeah, and women and, and couples and the psychologies about it. And it's so, some of it is so relatable. Some of it isn't. Obviously, I've not been in a marriage or been in a relationship as long as they have, but it's still relatable. It's still interesting. Yeah, so, it sounds great. So, yeah. So, that was my week. The first figure that we are going to talk about today is Didier Drogba. So, G, you're very excited about this. Yes. And can you give a summary of who he is and what he's done for anybody who didn't know very much about him? Okay, other than being a total legend, um, (laughs) um, context, I am a Chelsea fan. So, he was part of the Chelsea team kind of during the golden years of Chelsea, which... Um, I think one of the reasons why we struggled this year is we've kind of not really had the same kind of team since then. And that we're talking about Lampard, Terry, Czech, Ashley Cole, uh, Drogba, obviously, 
Um, and they had just such a tight squad. And they were so good. So he he was kind of... Part of that. Part of that. Era. And um, he scored 101 goals for Chelsea in total. And he was also the first African player to score 100 Premier League goals. He is from the Ivory Coast, which is a country in Western Africa. Um, and I think the reason that he's so remarkable is he essentially put an end to a civil war that had lasted five years. So basically there's a World Africa Cup and Ivory Coast obviously were incredibly passionate about winning. Um, there was a game against Madagascar and he suggested and proposed that the game be played in Buake, which was the capital of the rebellion. So the country was split north and south. So in the north were the rebels and the south was government loyal. Um, and basically he said you all need to put down your guns and you need to stop fighting and we will then play this game in Boake. But if you don't, we're not going to. And they did. So... Amazing. Yeah. Kind Amazing. of bringing, bringing And something together. that I um, really loved when I watched an interview with him with the BBC is talking about how football brings people together. Yeah. And it can be very divisive. Everyone gets very tribal and they have their teams. It's like going to war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um which I'm not so much a part of. I've never sort of supported one particular football team. The thing about football is it's the same in every country. I mean, you can go to anywhere in the world and there'll be a football game somewhere, uh, which is really special. And yeah, it is really special. Uh, and he, so he is from the Ivory Coast. And interestingly about the Ivory Coast is that the life expectancy there is 30 years less than Britain. Um, so it's a very high poverty rate. Yeah. Um, and they've had serious, serious Ebola issues. And he, Drogba has been a real advocate. Yeah, I of... think it was... So So a lot of the Ivory Coast team um, are in the Premier League. And I think he banned together with sort of six other players. And they basically f- did incredible things in terms of fundraising and research. Um, because Ebola, the problem with Ebola is that... Uh, it spreads incredibly quickly. And mm. it's... So it's a hemorrhagic fever. It travels... Uh, in your blood but it's actually you actually catch it through direct contact so direct contact with um, a patient who's infected whether that be bodily fluids or urine or droplet infection Um, and essentially it it started and originated with fruit bats and apes they're suspected to be the ebola virus carriers but we don't know that a hundred percent but that's the most likely and it's basically transmitted from the host animal to humans if humans consume raw or not fully cooked or contaminated meat. Um, Okay. So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. It's very difficult to track. There's also so many different strains, so Mm. it's really hard to create a vaccine or um, any kind of cure. Mm. Um, And the fatality rate can be as high as 90%. Wow. um, With certain strains. And basically, Ivory Coast and all of Western Africa were hit so harshly by Ebola. Drogba has a foundation called the Didier Drogba Foundation and every single penny that he earns from like sponsorships, sort of brand sponsorships, goes into the foundation. Wow. Um, which is really cool. I know other footballers do this as well, um, but that was really cool, which is something that I found yeah. out in my research. Often. Amazing. I also yeah. found out that he is a UN, UN Goodwill Ambassador. Yes. And there have been several other people with recognisable names, obviously. So I found out a few of them. Audrey Hepburn, yep. Nicole Kidman, Roger Federer, David Beckham, 
Shakira and uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, nice. What a great, random, awesome collection of people. I mean, that's only six out of so many people. So many. But that's a little selection. Absolutely. And you see the sportsmen in there as well. I think it's really important. I think... Serena Williams is another one. I think, again, just sportsmen in general and athletes are such good, like, kind of role models for... And I think it's so inspiring when they use their platform to Mm. voice concerns over much bigger issues that can impact millions of people. Millions of people. I think that's why we chose Drogba to look at, is because actually he's an incredibly good example of this. So in the vein of the World Cup, Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. In terms of a country like Russia, why are we giving them sort of the privilege and the world stage of hosting the World Cup when their track record is absolutely horrific in terms of human rights and also in sport. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a really interesting question. Hmm. Um, I'm obviously not on the panel who decides where the next World Cup <laughs> I thought goes. you were. I thought you were. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> um, do you know how, how long ago it was decided? Um... No, but I want to say about four or five years. Okay. Or six. And then we had... Because, I don't know, maybe I've personally become more aware of it, but I feel like four or five years ago, Russia wasn't in the media as it is now in the same way. So, so, so I think so the these, context yeah. has changed. I think we... And the Trump-Clinton election, I think, was the probably one of the biggest things that put Russia on the map like no, no on the map no pun intended the thing is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> so bad no but is in is in everyone no, it's shone, it's shone the spotlight right. on it. you can't bring up that election without bringing up Russia and I think so before true. that obviously I um, personally am very invested in the whole issue of Russia and corruption um, so I was definitely aware of it but I don't think that necessarily everyone in the world was okay my question is uh, more Drogba okay. specific okay um, what is the best Drogba goal? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so it's anyone watching, whether you're a Chelsea fan or not. Anyone watching, anyone listening. Okay. <laughs> you can already see it in your mind's eye. <laughs> okay, so I just had to re-watch it just before we recorded this episode because it's just so amazing. But the Champion League, Champions League final 2012 against Bayern Munich. <laughs> oh my God. So they have this match and he... Your passion is amazing. <laughs> the most incredible penalty that won the game for Chelsea. And I think that's been my, that was my favourite Drogba moment. Okay, so the second figure for this week is going to be the golden ratio. And I think... One of the interesting things about the golden ratio is that it is actually part of things that we see every day all around us. Is that yes. correct? Yeah, yes. yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, so, Which I find really cool because yeah, it is I don't really think people cool. really think about that consciously. Mm. It's kind of how maths is a part of nature. Yes. And there is a really lovely quote from um, someone called H.E. Huntley, which I hope I wrote down. Yes. The mathematics is not in the skin, it must be uncovered when he's talking about nature and beauty. Mm. And um, we haven't actually explained what it is, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> so 
it is 1 to 1.618. And when I say two, I don't mean the number two, I mean the ratio. Yeah. Um, and then that number 1.618 continues infinitely because it's an irrational number mm-hmm. and it just goes on and on and on like pi does. Yeah. The name of this is phi. Yeah. Um, the the of which we will post on our on our Instagram. We're going to show, symbol for we're gonna show the symbol of what phi um, is. It's also been described as the divine proportion and the golden proportion, I think. There's mm. there lots of different names that have been attached to this number. But it's one that has fascinated not only mathematicians, but artists and musicians and philosophers. And showing that all of those things are very much connected. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, I first started looking into the golden ratio when I was doing my extended essay for IB and so I did an art history essay with a psychological angle Mm. so I looked very much at perception what do we think is beautiful why do we think it's beautiful yes is there an unconscious attraction and this is where I came across the golden ratio because there's been lots of research um actually most recently from the University of Parma where they discovered that the pleasure centers of the brain are stimulated by this proportion and what's interesting is when I first heard about the golden ratio was um I was much younger but a friend was doing a project and we were looking at Michelle Pfeiffer's face, her mm-hmm. face specifically. And she was explaining to me what the golden ratio was and in her face, how you could see it. And she was showing me the proportions um, and why that we think that someone like Michelle Pfeiffer, for example, is very classically beautiful, why mm-hmm. her face is so appealing to yeah. look at. And it's because of this ratio. And so ever since then, I just thought, oh, that's interesting that someone can have an incredibly aesthetically pleasing face due to the proportion of where everything is. It kind of gets into this idea of having a formula for beauty, Mm. which people are quite resistive against. Mm. But when you do break it down, it's fascinating to see how beautiful faces come together, no matter where they're from. And sometimes they can look very different, but the symmetry and the proportions are quite often similar and symmetry mm. is the same as the golden ratio they found that you mm. are unconsciously attracted to symmetry you don't even realize that you're responding to it but you will see something that's symmetrical as more beautiful than something that's not not symmetrical wow that's when it so comes to faces at least. of course yeah okay. um and so i actually did some of my own research as part of my extended essay where i put this golden ratio mask mm. which has all the proportions over several different faces so Audrey Hepburn who's managed to come up in every section so far I love her um Grace Kelly Beyonce Kate Moss Natalie Portman and out of interest I did my own face (laughs) I actually can remember that yeah yeah um and it was really weird measuring my own face and trying to look at these different proportions but the other thing that I found is that it is very very difficult to measure them and if you're looking for it you can very much find it because Mm. there are thousands of potential proportions that you can see in anything Mm. but there are certain ones which have certainly been looked at and then have been used by artists and that was the perspective that I was coming from as well with these two paintings that I looked at and quick question Mm -hmm. um with artists uh who are painting uh do they use the golden ratio uh on purpose so do they sort of map that out before they paint 
Amazing question. So this really bugs me. Whenever I've been doing research on the golden ratio and I've done it in relation to Sandro Botticelli, Leonardo da Vinci, mm. Piet Mondrian and Gustav Klimt. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to discover, is there concrete evidence that any of those artists actually knew and were consciously applying the golden ratio? Mm. And <clears throat> I think the only one that I can actually say for sure is Leonardo da Vinci, mm. because he wrote, not wrote, he illustrated this book by Luca Pacioli during the Renaissance, which was all about the divine proportion. And this was where the name, the divine proportion came from. Mm. So Leonardo da Vinci is definitely somebody who knew about the golden ratio. I'm not surprised. No. <laughs> um, and I think the one of the pieces that's Is that most... why we're so intrigued with the Mona Lisa? See, this has been put forward as an explanation. Yeah. Because there's been research which was I done... I think it's the mystery, but that's just... Yeah, me. no, I, I think I agree with that. I think mm. mystery is basically... If mm. I was going to put one word on why are we so interested in this one painting, yeah. it's mystery. Yeah. And I can go into a whole other thing because that was all about my... My extended essay was trying to work out why are we so drawn, drawn to, her, yeah. to this painting and to a painting by Botticelli, which is The Birth of Venus. Mm. And... With Leonardo da Vinci, one piece where I thought this is actually undeniable and it's the same proportion in The Birth of Venus that I discovered was that the height of a human, mm. if that is 1.618, etc., yeah. the height from the floor to their navel is 1. So the proportion oh. is like that. Even someone who has a very small... The ideal proportion. Torso. Oh, okay. The ideal proportion. The ideal proportion. Okay. So this was represented by Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci and the Vitruvian Man, mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's mm. that, um, you know the one I mean. Yes, I do. like star and then not. But and I feel like we will, we will put that in the circle. We will put that in, in part of our Instagram. Um, yes. Because it's a lot easier to explain with yes, images. Yes, when you have the image in front of you. Um, and we will put the birth of Venus as well. Yes. And the Mona Lisa. Yes. So yeah. the birth of Venus um, was a really interesting one. I was basically just pulling this golden rectangle with the proportions and with the spiral and found that the horizon where the sky and the sea meet each other has been placed deliberately by Botticelli exactly at her navel. Is that because that's the most flattering? Is in that's what he thinks would be the most Well, I just think it's an interesting... Uh, placement because he so easily could have put it just above or just below mm. but I almost feel that he was trying to highlight this ideal proportion in his goddess mm. and the other thing is that when you overlay this spiral the curve of the cloak of Flora who's another goddess next to Venus actually follows the spiral so, so it does seem conscious but then the other thing is that I looked into which I find really interesting is Boulon Aslo basically thought that perhaps channel like artists are channeling this proportion without even realizing it because it is so inherent to nature and humans mm. it's in the way that our bones are structured in our hands it's in the asymmetry of our lungs or mm. has been found to be mm. it's in the codon frequencies of our dna mm. it's in our faces our mm. height our so many different aspects of humans and then of nature as well of sunflowers and pine cones do you think that that do you think that because of that there is a creator that seems and like a massive coincidence though if it's if it's in nature and it's in our it's how humans are designed arguably and that they're, they're subconsciously also following that ratio yeah and i think yeah to your question which is another great question um it, it 
I really love that there's this synchronicity and that you can link things up in patterns and that mm. you can find numbers uncovered in nature. Mm. I just think that the the beauty of it is so much enhanced. And I also love that you can be conscious of it, you can be unconscious of it, and it is still having the same reaction in your brain. And my final question is, so if the golden ratio is all around us, it's within nature, it's how humans are designed. And we now know that uh, there is a conscious effort in, in terms of its being appealing to a human eye. Does that mean that uh, it's used specifically for certain things Absolutely. that need to catch our attention? Absolutely. Lots of designers will consciously use the golden ratio knowing that it is a pleasing proportion for mm. most people. Does that include sort of things that, like advertising? Yeah. So the Twitter logo, the Apple logo. No way. Uh, so many different logos use the golden ratio, the golden spiral, all of these proportions because... And it's really bizarre when you line up rectangles, and this is what Gustav Fechner found in his research, people will unconsciously, like not knowing what they're looking at, they will choose the golden rectangle as their favourite. That's so insane. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, but it's amazing. But designers can then use, use, it. use that yeah. to make it more appealing. And manipulating is a really interesting word because I, um, I just love all beautiful things. And I think if we can make something more beautiful, then... Why Wonderful. Not? The third figure that we're going to discuss on today's episode is our image, and it is in the Oval Office, and it is of Donald Trump with Kim Kardashian. And the reason we chose this image has actually been, I think it kind of went viral um, when everyone saw it, because I think, for me, uh, when I saw this image, so many things came up, and the one thing that I just could not believe is that four or five years ago I would have just seen these two people and just thought god they're you know reality stars whatever it doesn't matter yeah you know it doesn't matter what they say what they yeah. do you know Donald Trump has funny tweets and is a billionaire Kim Kardashian <laughs> is one of the Kardashians yeah and now we are living in a time where they are together in the Oval Office arguably the president of the United States the most powerful position in the world and this is like Black Mirror <laughs> in real life. Yeah. No, it's just, it is absolutely mind-blowing. It's completely mind-blowing. The reason that she was there was actually um, to do with uh, prison and sentencing reform, which is something that I think the Trump administration tried to run on um, in something that they wanted to try and change but equally the issue with marijuana and drug trafficking is one that completely divides the US and even though you know countries like Canada we've seen the legalization of marijuana is going to come into effect and certain states in America that is also true but not everywhere mm. so essentially um Kim was there because of a woman named Alice Marie Johnson who is a 63 year old grandmother who is actually serving a life sentence for non-violent first-time drug offence, which is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. um, she is also black, which, you know... Adds a racial aspect. Adds a whole it. racial aspect, which actually plays a massive part in the issue of drug offences and arrests for drug offences, um, because it is completely and utterly unfairly 
but biased in terms yeah. of that. I think it's really easy to knock Kim Kardashian because we kind of think, oh God, you know, it's just a reality star. Mm. But if she can make some headway on this, then actually that's a really positive outcome. It is. And I think it's another interesting example of a celebrity or actress or model or footballer, as we were talking about mm. with Drogba, mm. using their platform for social change. Yeah. And I just think we are living in such an interesting world where the, t- the, the word celebrity and politician have just collided. So much. In, and this photograph just completely captures it. And part of that is because anybody can, you know, put themselves online, put themselves on social media, and they can be famous. I mean, you don't need to be uh, a Hollywood star anymore in order to have a platform. In fact, a lot of Hollywood stars have the lowest type of platform. Mm. And you equally, know? you don't need to be a politician to make change. Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. And you don't even have to be a politician to influence politics a lot of the time. Yeah. You, If you have a large following, then you have the power to do that. Mm. Um, and I think that's why we wanted to talk about this image, is almost what it represents in terms of celebrity, politician, mm. how that's changed today. And actually, what are the other examples of that? And and even someone like Ronald Reagan, who Donald Trump really kind of uh, wants to try and shape his administration mm-hmm. from, he was also a celebrity before yeah. he became president. He's in 50 films before he became president. I didn't realise it was 50! Yeah, 50. Gosh! And what's interesting is he was described as the great communicator. Mm. And it's I find it fascinating that someone who was an actor mm. becomes a politician and those communication skills stand him in such great stead. Oh, absolutely. For that and they role. will for any career. But I mean, for politicians, that you you just think it's such a performance. Mm. It's the same mm. It's the same trade in some mm. ways. Oh, absolutely. Because you're trying to convince someone else mm. of selling a story or an argument. Mm. But instead of just playing a character, you're trying to... Yeah, essentially you are I guess in a way playing a character you want someone to believe you mm. about something and you're trying to convince them mm. Very and obviously currently we've got Cynthia Nixon who mm. played Miranda Hobbs in Sex and the City yes. running for governor of New York Yeah, and I, w- I listened to this really really good podcast which I will link which was um, hosted by Trevor Noah and it had Cynthia Nixon as the guest, and she was talking all about her subway reforms that she is mm. trying to give a platform to, talking about women empowerment, talking about the $15 minimum wage, which has finally been introduced to New York. Um, and actually, I think the interview was... It kind of got better, and it developed. And by the end, you were thinking, wow, she actually has so many interesting things to say. Absolutely. And she's been observing for so many years and has the money and the resources in order to do that. But you say has the money and the resources. She doesn't have these huge, no, huge she's people denied, Well, she has denied backing all, her. Um, I think, all corporate funding. I'm not entirely she? sure, but what she was talking about on this episode was the micro-funding that she's had. Mm. So she's had very, very... Many, many, many individuals who want to help her with her campaign. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that lines up of who... Is it when somebody appeals to lots and lots of people and they help a little bit, but there's more of them? Or is it the people who have fewer supporters, say, but with bigger chunks of money? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it'll be a great one to watch play out. Absolutely. And also, just this is also someone who grew up having very little, um, who then made it and was earning a very high salary. 
who and survived his, breast cancer. Who survived breast cancer. Who identifies as bisexual. Yeah. She was married to a man. She's now married to a woman. And has a son, I think. Um, with she has her. two children. Yeah, two children from her previous marriage and a son now with her wife. And um, and I think I think it's just it is interesting when you have someone who has sort of put, worked their way up, made it so to speak, and now is sort of going right. Who can I help? I think in the case of someone like Trump, um, coming into the office of president with no prior experience, mm. that sets an interesting precedent. I mean, maybe the best person for the job is someone who comes from it not having been in politics. And I read a great article by David Smith for The Guardian where he's talking about how Trump is running his office as if he is a CEO, not as if he is a president. Yeah. And I think that mentality is so clear to see. Mm. He's talking about numbers, jobs, mm -hmm. funding, mm -hmm. tax reform. It's all... But also very numbers. cutthroat. Very cutthroat. That's why... It, I mean, God, who has survived his administration? People get drop like flies yeah um i can't even believe that sarah huckabee saunders has been yeah has kept her job for so long <laughs> i mean it's sort of insane yeah. um and i think it'll actually be really interesting looking back on trump's administration retrospectively because it's completely crazy what is going on at the moment we have an investigation by robert Mueller. We have, you know, Secretary of State and Defence. They're changing all the time. We have mm. Rudy Giuliani, who is just putting his foot in his mouth all the time. We have this thing with Stormy Daniels. Melania Trump hasn't been seen for about a month. Um, it's just it's, so many stories. It's just so bizarre. And I'm actually really curious to see what it's going to be like 10 to 15 years from now and what we think and what we learn from the Trump and administration. And how we reflect on it. I am quite sad that Oprah has confirmed I know, that, that she will sad. not be running for president. I don't want to do that to Oprah, though. I mean, president yes, is I was a saying terrible exactly job. the same. I said exactly the same to my mum yeah, yesterday. Yeah. I would not wish that job on anybody. No, In I the wouldn't. same way that I actually wouldn't wish the Prime Minister's no. job on anybody right now. No, definitely not the Prime Minister's <laughs> job. Definitely not in the UK. But Oprah's another one. This mm. is She is essentially a celebrity. Mm. And she didn't even say anything everybody suddenly got swept into this yeah. whirlwind of please yeah. please run for and michelle obama i mean obviously michelle obama's not a politician she was the first lady but mm. there's been a huge outcry yes. for michelle obama to run oh and that would she be just, amazing she just said absolutely not i'm not going to put my family through that at, you know ever yeah. again yeah it's such an upheaval but it'll be really interesting to see in the next election mm. if trump is going to get it again yeah i know scary so I just wanted to finish by asking you one question which relates back to the image yes. of Kim and Trump, Trump. the other Kim. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> do you think that marijuana should be legalised? 110,000%. Um, and the reason I believe this is because uh, this is absolutely ridiculous that it isn't legal. I think you could look at this from so many different angles. I think the most obvious one is that by making it legal you're going to take out a huge amount of, I would say, crime and arrests yeah. around, the I stigma around marijuana. It's the resources that it takes up because it's illegal yeah. is just Insane. ridiculous. And it's yeah. actually, if you think about it, smoking is legal, drinking is legal. Yeah. Those two things can kill you in excess. Yeah. Marijuana 
in excess, in absolute excess, of course that's not going to be good for you. But actually, smoking on occasion is going to be no, no different to, to drinking. Yeah. And that's socially acceptable. That's the only yeah. difference. Um, and I was talking about this um, with several other colleagues and we were talking about why marijuana legalisation is so important and why that is happening in Canada now. And actually, someone brought up a really interesting point, which we were talking about. And they said that actually during the hippie movement in the 60s and 70s, a really good way for the government to sort of crack down on that because those sorts of movements were taking over the country. I mean, there were, you know, and you had civil rights movement going on. You had women, you had feminism, first wave, femi- second wave feminism, sorry. And by passing the Controlled Substances Act in 1970, which prohibited marijuana use for everything, including medical use. It prohibited it completely. In the US. In the US. It meant that they were able to break up those movements. and It meant that that was used as, as a way of controlling them, which I thought was like, oh, That's so classic. interesting. And the other thing in relation to this that came out literally a couple of days ago was a headline that legalising cannabis could help fund the NHS and earn the UK £3.5 billion a year. Because in tax, I mean, you use tax it and then the government... It's like with cigarettes. I mean, it costs now, what, 20-something pounds to buy a 20-pack of cigarettes. I mean, that's so much tax that people are paying for those. Mm. Um, I think... Yeah, I think it should be the same. I think we need to stop criminalising it. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And please remember to come and find us on Instagram. We are at Figure Podcast and we'll have all the photos and everything that we've discussed in every episode, as well as other posts during the week as well. And please follow us on Twitter. We're at Figure Podcast. And we also have an email, thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And also when um downloading on apple Podcasts, please uh rate review and subscribe just because it will help other people find the podcast which is really awesome but if you really want to try and spread the word spread the word spread the conversation um and if you have any questions or comments or anything you would like to share in relation to any of the podcast episodes that we've done so far, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Absolutely. Or if you just want to share how much you're in a Love Island hole like me, then please feel free. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, see you next week.